Hey, it's Jose Galison, and this is No Way Jose. You can find me on the No Way Jose YouTube channel. You can also find me on all the major podcatchers and on Odyssey as well. Today, my guest is Marcel Goutreau, uh, or online you'll see him mostly as Marcel Dumas. Uh, this is a live stream uh, if you're here on the 29th, and it is I do do these public, but I normally don't announce them. Um, and I immediately, after the fact, I will put this as private or enlisted or whatever, and then it'll basically be only accessible to my patrons. So if you would like to have access to that, uh, and I'll release it like a week later, it's like a numbered episode. So, uh, I mean, if you'd like to have access to that, patreon.com says no way Jose 2020, the lowest levels, two bucks, the highest levels 20. Um, and then, uh, the $20 levels for sponsors and I list them off every episode. So for my sponsors, I have CD McRae of the whiskey and tea podcast. Definitely go check her out. She's good stuff at SpaceCat2K on Twitter. I just had him on uh, not too long ago. We did like an agorism versus secession type thing or versus in quotes because I don't really see it as a versus thing. Um, and we talked in that because the $10 level gets you, a, you know, you get to curate an episode. And as that, he picked that topic and we can't, he came on and we talked about it. Uh, I have Jacob Winograd of the Daniel 3 Biblical Anarchy podcast. And uh, he's been on here multiple times. He's good stuff. Um, you know, uh, just to give you guys a little updates on what's going on, uh, tomorrow, uh, for Tower Power Hour, we have Dave Smith on, uh, so that should be a big one. If you're watching this when it comes out as a numbered episode, it'll already be out, but if you're watching as a live stream, obviously, you know, go check that out tomorrow. I also, um, just recently recorded with, uh, Clint of Liberty Lockdown, one of the other hosts of, uh, of Tower Power Hour. Uh, and he, it should be dropping actually the same day as, uh, as the Tower Power Hour. So tomorrow, the 30th. Um, so, you know, definitely go check all that stuff out. We had a really good conversation. Is it, it was kind of like a mix between like our serious episodes and Tower Power Hours. A little bit on the smart side, but we still goofed off a little bit. Um, and, you know, also make sure to go check out Top Lobster at toplobster.com. Use Jose at checkout for 10% off. Uh, you know, as you guys know, I've been telling you, we, me, all the Tower Power Hour guys, all of our shows, Natural Capitalist, uh, fucking Liberty Lockdown, and then also uh, Josh's show, obviously, he's been doing that for a while to break the cycle. We're all kind of partnered with him, so, you know, you help out Top Lobster, you help out us as well. Uh, we're all kind of work together. If you go to his site, you'll see we're listed right at the top. You see, like, little hyperlinks, all the stuff. He redid the website recently. It looks really good. Go check it out. There's a lot of merch uh, and obviously, I prefer you get my merch because I get that kickback. But I mean, whatever you don't, there's plenty of other good merch you can get. Uh, definitely go support the homie. Um, with that, let's go ahead and bring on Marcel. What's up, dude? I'm doing pretty well. Glad to be on. Yeah. Uh, awesome. I saw you making funny faces at my intro. I, I get I get mixed results. I like seeing because I can see you. I like the like... <laughs> multiple tiers of paywall that was going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I was talking about like the intro, intro, but yeah, I don't know. I, I gotta, I, I gotta fucking hawk my wares, man. But yeah, mm -hmm. I, I was talking about like the intro, intro, the beginning. It is oh, always funny. I can, on, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could always see the faces at the bottom. It's always funny seeing the different reactions. Um, but go ahead and introduce yourself for the audience. So they know who you are, what you're about. Sure. So my name is Marcel Gautreaux. I am a PhD candidate now at George Mason University, and I was. I've been a summer fellow at the meet since two, for a few years running, so I'm, you know, um, feet straddled firmly between heaven and earth on that one. Um, my main areas of research are Austrian economics, development economics, and public choice economics. So I, I read about and write about how poor countries spend tax money uh, poorly. Cool. cool. Um, my main areas of interest are, let's say, 
the Middle East, U.S. foreign policy in general, the history of the American right, that kind of thing. It's broadly what I'm interested in. Awesome. And of course, you know, libertarian sci-fi from the 90s, right? Yeah. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I'm just curious because I know you're in college and I don't know how if you're a little oh, bit older or not. 26 years old. Okay, cool. So you're a little bit on the other side. I was just wondering because I'm always jealous when I meet these like young guys like Drew Hancock. They're like, uh, they're, they're, uh, I mean, I'm only 30, so I'm not, I'm not like super old. So I didn't know if you were like 22, 23. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know how, but I'm always jealous when I find these younger guys that were had their shit together uh, somewhat, at least uh, on the right track. Um, anyways, I, I want to bring up just kind of a lighthearted note to begin with. I thought it was fucking genius. Like I watched one of your, uh, I forget what was it, the, what was the name of your show? I, I watched my a couple show is the Brett. moral minority, the moral minority. I, I, I couldn't remember. I knew I had minority in there, but, um, I, I watched that and I listened to the episode and the, the funniest thing is like, even though it was a really good episode, the thing that stuck out to me the most, that was the most like blew my mind is you guys had your little bit about Trump. And how his locker room talk doesn't make any fucking sense, and it like <laughs> it was like a light bulb in my head. I was like, oh my god, like because it. And it's not to say that he's never had sex or banged porn stars or anything, but it's like I could see those things being true. But him also having a weird upbringing and not really having these guy friends that he like actually you know bumps mm-hmm. elbows with, and like so now he's always tried to put on that persona, and so. They, that's why you get these weird clunky euphemisms he uses for like i moved on her like a bitch and then i, I grabbed her <laughs> by the pussy if you think about it for another few seconds it's like wait a minute what <laughs> yeah like i mean it's funny but like when i heard it at first it was funny because it was out of the norm so it's like it, it's it was more funny because just like who phrases it like that you almost think he spoke yeah. english a second language actually <laughs> yeah i yeah, know it's i don't know i just thought that was weirdly genius i definitely suggest go check out your show it was hilarious you guys' bit on that because it it weirdly was a light bulb i'm not even being like facetious like i would legit was like oh my god that explains a lot about the psyche of trump that like that because of his upbringing and like he has to put on the persona i mean obviously it, it shows out when he's trying to like you know talk with the dudes or whatever but it, it, it does also have other explanatory power for other aspects of his personality and you're like Oh shit! Like he's that guy that's trying to like put on a fucking put put on a persona essentially to some extent. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I thought that was interesting. But all right. Anyways, you recently uh, started a Twitter shitstorm, and it was over the homeless uh, thing, or uh, it was kind of the late Rothbard, which is the best Rothbard in my opinion. Uh, where he, you know, what was the line? He's like, uh, un- unleash the cops. And it's like, uh, I, I know the two main lines. Um, I was supposed to be unleashed and allowed to administer, um, immediate punishment, instant punishment, something like that. Um, subject of course, to liability when they are in error. And then there's another, I think it might be the same paragraph. Um, you know, clear the streets of the bums. Where will they go? Who cares? Hopefully into the ranks the of the productive. Yeah. So it was very, very super villainous. <laughs> yeah, I love that line. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> but yeah, and then a subject, of course, of liability, which everyone likes to forget about that part. And then people go, oh, oh, the cops are all, they never have liability. And yeah, well, that's kind of the point. Like these things need to be you need to work for both these things for this to work. Um, and it's it's a weird thing too, because you know, some people like even as you said it, I, I kind of thought to myself, yeah, as if, you know, some vagrant's gonna have some lawyer to sue the police department and then i thought about it's like wait a minute there's like legions and legions of shit lib ngos chomping at the bit to sue the local police department on behalf of some vagrant like they'll be they'll be fine (laughs) although will these ngos exist during encapistan maybe not i mean probably i mean i'm sure that you know the market provides uh, i mean i I don't know would be an ngo 
And yeah, I mean, there's there's got to be somebody out there. I mean, I, I don't know that deep a theory. Probably need Bob Murphy to explain that one for me. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. Um, uh, and we were talking a little bit in the pre, and I I talked about this recently on the show, and I actually completely agreed with kind of your take, and like in that, um, yeah, like I'm fine with that. I'm completely fine with if there's if I'm you know at a public playground and there's some bum. That's, I mean, it's one thing if a bum is sitting there, you know, politely. I can't even tell he's a bum. He's reading a newspaper. That's one thing. But if he's over there being a nuisance, that's a different story. And, you know, you can use your interpretation of what a nuisance is. I mean, everyone always uses the example of them jerking off or something, especially because there was that fucking video recently of the guy on the subway uh, that made the rounds on Twitter jerking off uh, in, I think, like New York or some shit. And that sounds about right. Yeah. I mean, and like, I, I guess you could get into really autistic territory and be like, does this really break the NAP? Does it not? It's kind of like, to some extent, I kind of don't care because if we were in magical in Kapistan, there's no way that would be okay. And every one of us realizes this, that person would get kicked out. Like if this is private property, they'd be out. And I, I we were talking before and I, I, I don't really have a consistent theory and how that works out. If like, like so far as like private property, public property, whatever. But at the same time, like I, I I'm kind of like root a lot of my thinking and egoism and while I always do try to get consistent theory, if I'm in a place where I'm like, this is against, because like I know if I had a public park near, near my house and that, that that was happening, I wouldn't be like, well, this goes against my libertarian principles. Like, no, I'm fucking calling the cops. <laughs> like, I, I like that's in like because it's against my very interest, my family's interest, and that's kind of where my first principles lie from. And if I can't make those things square, it's kind of like. I probably need to think about it some more, but at the end of the day, I lean towards, you know, my personal, like, you know, my family in incentives. Um, and so I'm kind of curious your thoughts on the matter and how you think about this and how that is consistent with libertarian theory or whatever, if it is at all, or if you even care if it does, kind of like where I'm coming from. I definitely do. So first on the meta level, I definitely, well, I don't know. I, I, I probably haven't been tested strongly enough by reality, but I'd like to think that I'd be willing to make some sacrifices on a personal level to be morally consistent. Um, arguably, just reputationally, I have. Um, and then on um on the object level, it totally is compatible with normal Rothbardian anarcho-capitalism, where if you just have the idea that everything the state has is stolen from taxpayers, even that which it builds was built with stolen goods. We know who they were because the state keeps records of the taxation everybody's living there there's no mystery right you know things the government takes it's it's very rarely where it's like man we got to find the original guy like the government's right there we're all living here i mean it's i guess it's possible that you know and it probably happens very often the government taxes people those people move away and then you know a bunch of new people move into the area and then there's some kind of question about well technically you know it's not the locals of this neighborhood but actually uh, everybody who built this neighborhood actually left and fled into the suburbs in the 1970s. So actually, technically, they should still have, right? They're the rightful claimant. So there might be a mystery along those lines, but notice that that moves us in a far more right-wing direction than even I was suggesting, right? Where suburbanites actually maintain a prior claim on the public goods of the cities. But the people who are, are victims of a protection racket have the right to demand protection. If the government takes your money and says it's for this purpose, you have the right on the first order to, I mean, it's your property. You can demand anything be done with it. 
right? And if they're saying, well, we're putting it towards protection, it's like, all right, well, I was going to use it to buy a new suit, opportunity cost or whatever, but if that's not in the cards, I'm not, I'm not getting a refund, then I would like to get the protection that I was promised. And in the same way, you know, a public park, public park, right? I mean, this is money that was taken, you know, a lot of people, and, and even if, whether it was stolen or not, actually, because I'm even being too charitable, you know, in many places, these parks were, so to speak, nationalized, right? These were things that maybe a church built or some other community organization built. And through one mechanism or another, it found itself in control. That's still stealing, right? But even whether whether it was constructed with stolen property or it was built and then stolen, the locals, the people who contributed in the past or contributed in the present to it, have the right to dictate how it's used. Right. And, and liberals will be constantly trying to fight against this. Um, I think Walter Block talks about this in relation to public libraries, although which is weird because, as I recall, Walter Block is an open is relatively on the open border side of these sorts of discussions. But even he, when discussing public libraries, says, like, you know, if the money is taken from you to build this library, there's no obligation to let it become like a den of cocaine usage. Yeah. I mean, I guess that my question then would be. If you're going, it's kind of like the people in the community, wouldn't it be kind of this, I guess to use a dirty word, a democratized type thing to where, I mean, would you really be able to on the individual level make your demands? Because it would be, if it's the, the public park, it's the, it's the whole idea of the tragedy of the commons. It's like, how do I get to dictate that, you know, so-and-so shouldn't be here because they're being a nuisance or whatever, you know, you know, the homeless guy is the example where, you know, but most people were focused on. Um, and I, I don't know if I said it here, if this isn't pre, but like, um, I mean, it, obviously like I personally would have no issue with a homeless guy that's just, you know, politely sitting there, you know, reading a book or some shit or whatever, you know, but like now if he's like masturbating or, or something, something like ridiculous, you know, or if he's sprawled out on the bench, the newspaper blanket, uh, I don't know if that's necessarily what I want my kids to see. And it's not to say that I don't want them to exist or that I, I would. Like if there was some like national park or whatever, and they were out in the woods with a tent, I wouldn't give a shit because they're not affecting me at all. Um, but now the question becomes like, do I on an individual level, am I allowed to or not allowed? Is is it proper through libertarian theory or whatever to be like, get this guy the fuck out? Like, I mean, personally, like I kind of said, I don't I mean, I, I think libertarian theory is the ideal theory. But at the end of the day, if I'm in a spot where I can't figure out the theory and I it's I'm. And I'm in a spot where, you know, it's it's unclear and I know my incentives. I know where I'm going to go. And I don't want that to be something that's around my family. I mean, I have two young daughters. That would not be something I would want at my public park. So I guess it's to me, I guess I'm a little bit it's murky in a libertarian theory sense. If if I get to be if I get to say dictate that person doesn't get to be there because it is this is something that, you know, everyone has been stolen for to have. You know what I mean? Or, or I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or. Or if it's still just as murky for you? <laughs> I mean, I guess there's certain, the, the murkiness really is just in, you know, since there's multiple victims and the stuff has been kind of mixed together, what is the, the right decision-making capacity? And it's one of the things where I say, you know, the reason crime is bad is because it makes us worse off, right? There's no way once a crime has happened to make everybody perfectly whole, right? Sometimes you put people in situations where they have to act in an unethical way just to be made whole. Um, you know, one just one that comes to mind is like as a historical example, um, 
you know, during World War II, Germans were expelling, you know, Poles and all sorts of other, um, not not just Jews, but all other East Asian, uh, East Asian, Eastern European ethnic groups and moving Germans in. And it's a violation of Geneva Conventions to do that sort of thing, to expel people from their homes and then move in your own civilians. And then after the war ended, there was kind of a problem. And I was like, well, what do we do with all these German, who are these German civilians who are living in either what is now Poland or what we're going to give to Poland? And in the final accounting, Joseph Stalin and Winston Churchill just collaborated to just, you know, expel them at gunpoint back into, not even into Germany, but like deeper into the new, smaller Germany. And whatever you say about that, I think on some levels that wasn't ethical. But we should understand the reason, one of the reasons why population transfer is against Geneva Conventions is because after the fact, it puts us all in that sort of situation where the only people who can give anything that looks like justice are Winston Churchill and Joseph Stalin. And as far as I'm concerned, if you put me in that situation, you deserve to die. Yeah, I mean, it's, I know this similar situation was uh, South Africa as well. I know they did this shit with the uh, farmers where they booted. I, I forget which, because they've swapped back and forth between like having the, the black, the blacks and the whites in charge, and they've kicked one out and they've controlled the farms, and the other one comes in and now they control the farms, and it's this weird like who gets what. Like, yeah, this was stolen from your grandfather's forever ago, but it's like what moral claim do you have? And it, it does get into. I, I know. I guess it is. I, I guess to me, it's still a weird, murky territory. And, um, and I guess I also too, like you brought up crime, like, um, it not even necessarily is a crime. What I'm speaking of too, with say with like a, say with like a homeless person sleeping on the bench with a, with a newspaper blanket or, or just being belligerent or whatever, or, you know, you kind of brought borders. It's the same problem with the borders. It's kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm more like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Apathetic sort of on the border situation. I don't really, I'm not really open borders or, or closed borders. I lean more towards closed sort of, but like it, and it's for the similar reason. Uh, it's a lot of like the Hoppian type arguments and stuff. And like, I'm more, I'm more, I'm more lean that way. Um, but it's the kind of same idea necessarily crossing a border isn't really a crime, but at the same time, we all understand that if we were in a magical in Capistan, we would have, private borders and it's like but we're in a situation where we don't uh and it's kind of like well i mean do we want the government to some extent sort of behave like a you know a private thing to some extent you know it's the same idea with you know to bring a papa again with like monarchies in which they're more like they're not necessarily private property uh like set up but it's similar and that's kind of why it's superior and it's the same idea um I don't know. I guess if you have any thoughts on that, I'm kind of wondering. It, it just seems like it's murky altogether, and it's kind of hard to find a clear. I don't know. It's just such a weird gray, murky area, in my in my opinion, when it comes to theory, when it comes to tragedy of the commons, and especially something that's not even necessarily a crime. If it's something that's a, you know, a clear, uh, you know, breaking of the NAP, that's easy for us. We're like, well, it's not even a matter of tragedy of the commons. Just get the fuck out. Like, I mean, it's it's a crime. But I would say, but it's part where we recognize where the murkiness is. The murkiness is for those who do have the right to decide between each other what is the right way to make a decision, right? So when we're talking about the park, when we're talking about the border, for the like, it's not that everybody has the right side. We first recognize that only net taxpayers, property owners, exactly right, they internally are the sole claimants on this decision-making process. And then, you know, if they are at cross purposes, then what is an ethical way to resolve it? And that's one of those things that I think would just have to be negotiated on a case-by-case -case basis between those claimants, right? 
and so like we could draw certain hard boundaries just if i've been stolen from to if i've been stolen from to have a police system and you've been stolen from to have a police system and i believe in the death penalty and you don't um there's a there's a valid dispute to be had in which we can each sort of say you know where I can't unilaterally impose a will on you. But if I say, you know, since I've already been stolen from, I'd like to increase the police budget for even more police protection than I would have gotten, then I definitely can't make that kind of claim because now I'm just making the case for more theft. But it's still, we, but you know who definitely doesn't get a vote? The, the vagrant Def, or, or the vote or the right, the lot or the, or the, or the, or a lottery ticket or, you know, to get the talking stick or the medicine. Or, it's just those who have the right. So, so even that murkiness is like a practical problem. You know what I mean? It's not an yeah. ethical one. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's still, I, I guess it is one of those spots. I, I still find it murky, but it is, I, I definitely agree with you mostly. It's just, I'm trying to find a way to square it to be like, here's the theory. Cause, and I guess the next point that kind of goes to what are your thoughts on utilizing state power? We talked about this a little in pre, I think I know we're going to go, but this kind of ties into this as well. Cause I know a lot of people's argument there was like, Oh, well, we're going to use the police. And it's like, yeah. In my opinion, it's like, yeah, I mean, they've kind of monopolized the fucking protection. Uh, so, I mean, I don't really have another option. So I would prefer there to be anarcho cops out there, but there fucking aren't. So I don't know what you want me to do. So, um, yeah, it's when people say like, oh, you're, you're going to use state power to get what you want. Like, yeah, that's that's what it's for. Someone's going to do it like the whole the, the entire reason the state exists is because force is being used by someone to get what they want. And it's not going to be for as long as the state is there, it's not going to be nobody. So it might as well be me. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Jose, you might say, well, no, actually, I, I want it to be me. It's like, no, you're wrong. It, it's going to be me. Right. <laughs> it's 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 never going to be nobody. While the state exists, it has to be somebody. And if, you know, our enemies are putting us in this us or them situation, they do that. I'm going to sit on my thumbs, you know, being being stabbed or harassed. And it's like, well, I wouldn't want to betray my anarchist principles by calling the cops on this i mean it wouldn't even be to even say it would be a betrayal of the anarchist principles is, is ridiculous yeah right. i mean it, it was one of those things when people were make. i saw people make multiple people it's almost like a straw man to bring it up until you see people make the argument because yes. I, I can't tell you how many people made the argument like well just go take care of it yourself and you're like you no. want me to go with my kid go beat the shit out of a homeless guy and kick him out of a park like i mean even if i didn't have my kid it's like well, now I'm putting myself at the whims of, you know, having to get fucked by state power. So like, yeah, it's a weird kind of, it's like tactical localism. And I, I'm, I haven't yet decided if it's hypocritical or not. Definitely among the, it is partially a thing among libertarians. I think just because there's an anti, because of the coalition that we started to build, there's an anti-urbanite streak here where a lot of people have sort of like, you know, founding fathers, cowboy, libertarian, Mormon homestead fantasies, where they're like, and I'm going to grow my own food and I'm not going to live in the pot. I'm not going to eat bugs or whatever. It's like, listen, we're doing division of labor here, right? Like I have no, I don't grow my own food. I've never once killed an animal for somebody else to eat. I never pulled a plant out of the ground for somebody else to eat. I don't plan on doing that for my entire life. And I don't ever plan on being solely in charge of my own defense right anymore than i would represent myself in court there's like there's there's a billion and one things every day that i don't do for myself right someone else gets paid money to do it uh pretty much the only thing i do for myself is i educate myself right and that's because i'm training to educate others but so this idea that we're, that we're going to say actually you know i don't want to be in charge of my own defense or i don't the idea that i don't want to delegate my own defense you, you know you got to do it yourself to be a real man it's like no Right. That's that's savagery. That's barbarism. 
Which, I mean, I would make the case that if you want to do that, go right ahead. But I think it's, generally speaking, depending on the situation, probably kind of dumb, especially in the context we're speaking of. But if you want to, go for it. It's kind of the same idea with, uh, I bring this situation up uh, a lot of times to, like, um, I don't know, say, for example, a cop pulls you over and you did nothing wrong and he tries to, like, you know, tries to arrest you. Technically, he's kidnapping you. If you want to fight him, I think you're fully within your moral rights to do so. Do I think it's smart? No. <laughs> like, like, you're probably going to have a really bad day. It's probably not going to work out well for you. I would suggest you don't, but more power to you, brother. Like, now, when you're in court, what you do is you point out that the that the flag at the courthouse has golden fringes, and so actually you're like a, what is it? You know, you're an Article 5 free traveler. They can't even touch you. They have no jurisdiction. This is a naval court. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Now, I want to kind of hear, I, I, I've listened to you. I mean, the reason why I contacted in the first place, I heard you in a few places. I saw, the, obviously, the tweet. Uh, I just, I I, 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 well, the tweet. I mean, yeah, and yeah. so I, 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 I noticed it, it, an interesting way of thought that you have, and I'm just kind of curious what your inspirations, like what, where you've derived your thought patterns from, um, like, because I mean, I brought up egoism, so Sterner. I mean, I'm, I consider myself an agorist, so Konkin. Like, I obviously am very inspired by Rothbard, like Hoppe. Like, so I'm kind of interested, like, what, where you're coming from, and then I also. I heard uh, Pete made a comment on the, when you were in his show about NRX. I'm kind of curious where that's coming from. Like, I don't know if you have, you're NRX sympathetic or if you're a fan of NRX. I find some of their thoughts kind of interesting. I mean, I, I don't really go full bore, but I haven't really done a deep dive, but I do find some of their stuff pretty interesting. So I'm kind of curious where you're coming from. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't say I identify as NRX. Uh, I, although like you, I'd say I read some of their stuff. I find some of it interesting, but it's definitely not how I would, um, how I would, how I would describe myself. Um, I'm I'm a pretty orthodox Rothbardian. My path is one that's probably been pretty well trod. Um, where, so originally, originally, you know, for all I talk about, like you know, former leftists, I actually was like a really kind of a Democrat when I was like eight years old, <laughs> right? Um, but I got into Ron Paul a little bit in 2008, and then heavily in 2012. Um, you know, he got screwed over during the Republican primary that year, and then just. Um, it was like Adam Kokesh videos or, or Larkin Rose and like the kind of free keen people who were like, actually, you know, instead of jumping to Gary Johnson, you should be an anarchist. I took very little convincing, actually. They just kind of like, you know, taxation is theft. And I was like, wow, I was a mind blown. I was maybe 14 or 15 years old. I was like, I can't believe I've been you know, lied to all this time. It is stealing because if you say no, they hurt you. Um, so that was definitely how I got to these kinds of, you know, to this this world of politics. And then from there, um, I guess the thing that made me an anarchist was, um, uh, it was like Stefan or the thing that convinced me of anarchism practically was Stefan Molyneux's practical anarchy. And then from there it was David Friedman's machinery of freedom. And from there it was, you know, back to the Mises Institute and those circles and just reading like that. Okay, well, maybe that's it. Because I'm trying—I was trying to identify something that might be a little bit different. Because I, I did notice you have a unique way of thinking. I, I think you're a little bit so a, I've been a, told. A, a little bit more of an out of the box thinker. So maybe it's the Friedman things. I feel like a lot of people don't do the Friedman because Friedman is known for being a more utilitarian, and I actually kind of am a little bit more sympathetic to his arguments. And and I actually that in a weird way is kind of derived from the egoism thing, which I talked to before, where it's like it's kind of like if it doesn't work for me. It's kind of like, well, what of what of what use is this? Um, so that's I'm kind of where I'm coming from. Let me go ahead. Sorry, I was gonna say I don't think I'm a utilitarian. I think the thing that just got me for Friedman over rather than Rothbard on that one was just Friedman's description of a private law system was just a little bit less clumsy. Because actually, in in um, 
in Foreign New Liberty, when Rothbard describes a private law system, he kind of does the thing that I was talking about before, where it's like, oh yeah, in Akapistan, like you would be doing the, the detective work to find out who stole your TV and such, like, or you would be doing these contracts. Like, I don't want to do any of that. And then David Friedman has kind of just described like the network of like, here's who you would pay and here's who they would pay and here's so. And so I just found that to be a little more compelling in the end. Okay, I, I figured maybe that was it because, like I said, the utilitarianism it always gets a bad rap, utilitarianism. But then I feel like when em everyone ever describes it, when they're saying why it's bad, they're always giving like a really stupid version of utilitarianism because they'll use the argument of like, uh, not to. I know Dave uses this argument. I'm not just trying to shit on Dave at all. Dave Smith. I know he uses the argument of like you know like the idea of that like oh well if we took a person and we and we cut them open and uh you know like they, we could use their organs and give them to other people. It's like well you just save so many people and it's like well that's better for the greater good and it's like. Well, that's actually not a good utilitarian argument because you just set a precedent of this is okay to do, and that's not going to work out well in a utilitarian sense either. So, I, it's you kind of almost have to think at another level. And I, I did always like I didn't even get into Friedman until I started doing my Anarchist Handbook series. I'm doing, and I, I did appreciate him for that because my perspective is very much like, I mean, cool. The moral argument's great and all, but at the same time, if you're if you're making a moral argument, but it's like, but this doesn't work. It's kind of like well, what's the fucking point? Like, cool, you you just found some cool moral theory. I guess that's the kind of way I look at it. Uh, I mean, I guess maybe you do or don't. Um, but I don't know. I guess maybe it's just you. Maybe you're just a unique guy. I, I just figured mm. maybe you had some unique inspirations. <laughs> no, I think um, it's just... I, I, I was going to say maybe it's just the autism, but we're libertarians, so that can't be it either. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, cool. You said... When I was in the DMs, you were talking about your... You like... You, you are well... Like you brought up anarcho tyranny, and so I kind of want to hear your thoughts on that. Um, what it is, we've heard a little bit about it before. It's always kind of moderately interested me, or looked into it too much. So I kind of want to hear your thoughts on anarcho tyranny, and yeah, <laughs> all right, uh, so vaguely quick survey just uh or survey of it for your viewers just in case they don't know so anarcho tyranny is a concept that was pioneered by sam francis uh and i think it was in chronicles magazine where he observed what he was discussing the fact that basically it's anarchy for the mob they get to do what they want and tyranny for you and i don't remember what example he used but whatever example he used the example just became the la riots where we saw this spectacle of, you know, a lot of people speaking the voice of the unheard, mainly at Koreatown, and very few of them got arrested. You know, billions of dollars in property were destroyed. Meanwhile, um, California was still enforcing its, you know, five or 10-day waiting period on gun purchases. Um, so that's just a very quick uh, description of anarcho tyranny, or you could Probably just... Give um, a better modern-day example. <laughs> yeah, Kyle Rittenhouse would be... Or, yeah, or we Floyd. could plenty of... Yeah, 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 all the George Floyd stuff where people are allowed to freely loot, destroy, burn, and then if you defend yourself, then you get a malicious prosecutor who screws mm -hmm. you over. And there are a few ways people try to explain this, and there's sort of one base level one, which is the, I guess the most comforting one, is people say, well, law-abiding citizens have names and addresses, and so you know it's kind of easy to just spot you, and you'd be kind of stupid not to. Um, I don't think that this, exp um, this explanation holds too much water these days because we live in the world of the total surveillance state, right? Everybody's carrying cell phones now. Uh, we even saw that, you know, in the Rittenhouse trial, the FBI had like, dr you know, drones overhead. They were watching everybody. You could ping those phones, find out who anybody is. So it's not a matter of the police just being, you know, kind of just lazy keystone cops, right? I mean, we are dealing with a sort of a malicious situation here where there's an active, um, I'm not even sure I want to say R2 has been captured. I think kind of from the beginning, the FBI has always been 
um, the militant wing of a particular kind of bootlicker, we'll say. But I'd say those are my broad thoughts on anarcho-tyranny. I, I favor more malicious-based explanations than um, sort of rational choice explanations. Okay, cool. All right, let's move on to... I kind of want to hear your thoughts, and I can I guess parallel these two things. You brought up that you're. I, I'm. I'll be honest. I've said before I'm awful at history because I went to public school and I, it was always super boring, and it was always just memorize names and dates. And as I've gotten older, I've learned to like it more, and I find it very interesting. But you know, I kind of have that gap, and I'm. I'm. I've been more of a fan of theory and current events, so I've been lacking in the history department. So I mean. And, and you brought up that you're a big fan of the old right. That's something you've looked into uh, a lot. And I kind of wanted to see if we could compare and contrast that between the current state of the Republican Party, which I, I can definitely talk on a little bit more. The old right is definitely my where I have a little bit of a blank spot. I have some vague ideas, you know, I, I hear here and there, but I haven't looked into deeply. So I guess I kind of like to get your ideas there and like what you think of the old right and how it compares to our current state of like the Republican Party or conservatism in general. Uh, and I guess your thoughts on the future of that. Sure, I guess I would say I, I need a question to work with there because unless want me to just muse on the old right for a few minutes, I'm not sure what to where to start. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I more just want to compare the old right to the current state of the right. Uh, oh yeah, okay. um, yeah, yeah, and then and then kind of I guess probably start with what you know your thoughts on the old right generally, and then I guess we can go into comparing it to today. So sure, so I'd say the the old right was really the politics of the industrial north. Um, where they favored um, industrialization internally, protection, uh, protection of economic policies, uh, an isolationist foreign policy. And uh, they were very assimilationist. So they actually were very for um, pretty lax immigration policies to fuel all those factories they planned on making. And they were actually pretty hostile to expressions of nationalism by these foreigners. So you would have it where, you know, in New York, um, the old right, there are plenty of old right thinkers who were kind of shocked that, um, you know, Irish Americans were displaying Irish Republican flags whenever there was a flare up in England. And they found that to be very, uh, um, troublesome. And now the, the American right today is, uh, sort of, a uh, the opportunistic libertarians. Um, obviously we have the neoconservative movement where, the party, you know, is happy to spend, you know, untold billions of dollars on war, but then when their supporters actually want them to spend money on themselves, suddenly, you know, we start hearing deficit hawkery, which never seems to matter. Um, that's probably the, the thing that grinds at the sensibilities of most people that vote Republican today. Um, I can't speak too much on the religious character of the old right. This is something I haven't thought too much about, but... Well, I mean, obviously, there's been now a shift since the 60s. You know, people on the left always talk about Nixon and his Southern strategy magically turning the right into racists. But there has been a new attempt to, or new, longer, for twice as long as I've been alive, right? A new emphasis on sort of religious rural Southerners. Although that, I think, was really just a, um, just a way of not talking about civil rights, right? I mean, the way that most people... In the, even in the modern day, complain about um, anti-discrimination law is they talk about you know religious exemptions, which is probably you know the fact that religion has in fact become just a sort of polite way of getting around liberal mandates has probably done a significant amount of harm to religious institutions. 
Cool. All right. Now, I guess to kind of to tie into that, I kind of curious what your thoughts on are the possible uses of the Republican Party going forward? Because uh, I mean, I kind of mentioned oh, yeah. earlier, I, I, I'm more I'm more of the agorist bent, so I prefer people just I prefer people just generally don't vote and engage in political parties at all. But I understand people are going to, and if you're going to, I actually prefer people engage in that as opposed to the Libertarian Party. I, I'm of the opinion that I'd rather the Libertarian Party not exist at all. Uh, I mean, and if it's going to exist, I mean, maybe used for some sort of spoiler type thing strategically. But even then, I think it's kind of hard that you're going to you're going to magically commandeer a party to be able to use effectively in that manner because you're trying to control a whole mob of people. And But anyways, point being, I prefer people utilizing uh, the Republican Party, but in a libertarian manner, you know, kind of being a, you know, say like the YALs type thing. Like I, I find that to be a um It'd be more a better way to go. I, I find it. Um, I feel like I guess my thoughts like if you feel like uh, libertarianism when they take over a party, it kind of muddies the the the, the uh, philosophy. But if you're a small fish in a big pond, I feel like it's easier to remain isolated and kind of be this uh, the kind of keep your phil- philosophy a little bit more pure. Like say if we had a fucking say we had a I guess we actually do now a Mises caucus uh, Republican or Mises Republican caucus or some shit. Like I feel like it's easier to actually maintain your philosophy there than it may actually be in the long run in a libertarian party. But I guess I kind of what I'm, I'm kind of rambling now. But I'd like to hear your thoughts on what the uses of a Republican Party going forward, and and maybe we even can talk about your thoughts on the Republican Party. I've heard you speak on it before, but I, I don't think I heard you speak too much on the Republican Party and its uses for the future. Yeah, so I think my view is simply that the Republican Party. If you're going to if you're going to accomplish your political goals, the Republican Party is probably where it is going to happen. That said, understand the Republican Party is hostile towards helping you, like on every level, hostile to giving you what you want. Right? Um, it is. It, you shouldn't see it as like a vehicle. It is more of a you know, it's a wall, right? Between it, the, you know, there's you, there's Ancapistan, and then there's a wall called like you know the liberal consensus, and that's like the big wall around it. But even before you get to that. There's a huge wall called the RNC that is there that is very hostile to, um, you know, to anti-war movements, to any kind of localism, to any kind of populism or assertion of control over your local institutions. Um, Not only do a lot of people have like a sort of personal contempt, even as we see, you know, people complain about critical race theory in their schools. We see that a lot of Republican politicians just desperately wish that these parents would just shut up, right? Um, you see politicians that sort of run, they run not even against CRT, but just they run against dumb things Democrats said about those parents. But then you see the kind of people they hire. It's like, oh, you're just all, you're on message with them. And so the Republican Party can be a vehicle, but you have to understand that it's not your friend. It really does despise you. Yeah, no, I agree. I I guess my thoughts too, especially in this current environment, um, I feel like I understand the establishment of it is a hundred percent against you. Uh, but I do see a groundswell of the Republican voters or people who consider themselves being Republican being in some regards, a little bit more friendly to our ideas. Oh yeah. And, I mean, you should almost see Republicans as being yeah. like cops. Yeah. Right. Where, you know, if anybody like, if you want to be protected from crimes, you know, it's probably going to be a cop and not, you know, the criminal, but you have to understand that the cop is a trigger man for an organization that steals from you on a regular basis. Right. So if you want to, 
you know, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of using third parties as just, you know, a, a carrot, right. Of just dangling votes for that, for the party to, you know, what if we, you know, what if we um, cut the budget by 50%, then can we have your votes? And you're just looking at us like, I don't know, maybe. Right. I think that should be yeah. the sort of caricature of the relationship you should have with the Republican party. Yeah. And, and I kind of touched on it earlier, I guess my big critique of that is while I do agree with it on its face, I do think the logistics of actually doing that is something else to have an entity, a large entity, a, a party that you're going to strategically, you know, here and there and do it right. I, I think that's a, it's kind of the idea that you're going to centralize things and somehow be able to do it correctly. I, I, I guess I find that to be, cause like, while it is great, there's that flip side that like, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to fuck with this Republican to get a little bit more of what we want, but you know, who's to say that you don't, you don't, someone goes off script and they do it in a fucking state, like same Florida, you know, where you have DeSantis and, and someone tried to fucking be like, well, we're going to run a Republican candidate and they go off script and don't do what the party at large wants or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I think well, the logistics like of controlling who, yes tries to spoil it for DeSantis or some shit. Oh, like, even after you made some kind of agreement or what have you. Yeah, because it, it, it's like the idea that you're going to have this control over the party like that. And then, and for one, that you're going to have this ultimate control that you're going to be able to get each individual, you know, state or, or county or whatever to do, to do, bend to your will and do the smart thing. And then even then on the flip side, that you're going to have the people at the top or whoever, they're going to make the correct decisions is a, is to me a little bit of a, is a, like it's great. I think it'd be cool if they did, but it's it's one of those things where like ah, I I you know uh, doubt. <laughs> like, uh, so I, while that would be the ideal version of, the, of their libertarian party, I I don't have that much trust in that an institution that's set up in that manner to be able to effectively do that. So uh, sure, I, I mean it's I, gonna be hard no matter what. Right? I mean we yeah. are a minority movement. That is to say, mm -hmm. we are a minority yeah. public movement, and. You know, we don't really have any media apparatus that's for us. We don't have, I mean, there's no way when you are an electoral, an ideological minority, right? Um, that you're going, there's, there's there's no easy path here. One way or another, yeah. you're going to have to be doing political trickery or, yeah. um, or, or some other kind of coercion, right? To get yeah. what you want. I mean, all politics coercion, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess my, to kind of put it in a certain way, I see that as kind of almost like, the middle path to where you kind of like it, I feel like you're almost better off just completely not buying into it all. Or if you're going to do it straight up, just be like, well, I'm going to work in the Republican party and I'm going to do my best to, but now when you're like this in between thing, you're in this weird spot where you have no real political power aside from this, which even that's kind of hard to do in the first place. And I, it's almost like you're, you, you, you might be just running in place almost like it, it you know what I mean? So. Yeah. I, I, I'm really hot. I like, I really, I'm going to say hostile, but I'm really like would advise anybody against like trying to infiltrate the party and do it that way. Because all that's going to happen is, you know, you're going to join the, you're going to join the local party and, you know, say you have no federal aspirations at all. You're just do your local thing. You're volunteering for some campaign. You know, you're going to put in, you know, two, five, 10 years or whatever. But all's going to happen is at some point, some national party activist is going to be like, you know, you're, as soon as you get even a little bit of influence, um, some actors from national parties are like, oh, you know, this guy, he was associate, he was at an event with like known neo-confederate Llewellyn H. Rockwell and Thomas, Thomas E. Woods, right? And then you're going to be politely asked to step down. Nobody's going to take your calls. You're not going to be able to, you know, do anything with anybody. Like they're just going to put out a burn notice on you and you'll have wasted two, five, 10 years of your life for, for what? 
right? Just yeah. to be told at the final pass, like, sorry, but you are actually, you know, you're actually a white supremacist, right? And the Republican, I mean, and the Republican Party, less, any, I don't know what anybody else thinks, but the Republican Party is like vigilantly on the hunt for people to like throw to the wolves as being racist, right? And yeah. if they, and it might as well be a libertarian, right? It's got to be somebody. They're like yeah. cops with a ticket quota. Yeah, I mean, I guess infiltrate would not be the word I would use because I, 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 in no way, I'm saying people should have this aspiration to take over the party or to take over their local party or whatever. But it just to be this influence that kind of moves the ball a little bit that way. And even then, I would make, I agree with you entirely that you know the even you know and this is kind of partially an argument for agorism to where I think you know you're kind of to some extent even in in the Republican Party you're somewhat running in place. But I guess in my head, I kind of like the the logic I'm working through. I feel like you're running in place a little bit less. Probably in the Republican Party, say you're the why YAL is probably the best example I can think of because it's almost this, yes. this group where they roughly are trying to like vaguely, you know, liberty ish people and we'll support them and we're kind of help them out. And and because they're this small group, they're able to stay a little bit more philosophically consistent ish than you know if they were this large group or if they were a whole party like the libertarian party but because of this small group they're able to kind of make moves on the fringes and and, and to, to ever think that they're ever going to make some huge difference i think is to be silly um but to make a minor difference is something and you're you're kind of somewhat you know influencing the philosophy of the people there and I, I do think it has its effects. I mean, to what extent? I don't fucking know. I'm just talking out my ass, just like anyone else. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure about yeah influencing the philosophy of people there. I mean, yeah, that's certainly possible. And I would like to hope that even you know some of my friends who've you know gone on and kind of done Republican things. I know I've moved the needle for them on certain things, but even then, it's really more to get them not to make certain arguments, right? Like, yeah, I probably. I probably haven't had much success, all things, if I think about it, on making Republicans as better libertarians, but I've definitely gotten better or, or I've definitely tried to help Republicans not make arguments that sort of validate left-wing principles or, you know, sell themselves out, you know, at the first opportunity. But even then, it's like an uphill struggle, as we say. And even I think another another case example of what happens to you, even if somehow by some miracle you... Um, get yourself in charge so i mean so steve king steve king right um the guy from iowa he wasn't really a libertarian to my knowledge but that was still a case of you know some guy who comes into office who actually represents his local you know the, the views of the people who he represents and the republican party just mobilizes to just tank his tank his candidacy um mm-hmm. or even marjorie taylor green whose views are incredibly in line, like her actual views, the actual things she believes are in line with the stated principles of the Republican Party and certainly in line with the views of her electorate. And you saw Republicans collaborating, mainly never Trumpers collaborating to have her move from her committee seats, right? I mean, this is what I'm saying. Like, you know, you go through all this trouble to get maybe one thing, right, from one office in one place, but you're going to see an active, deliberate attempt as soon as you're noticed. Right. It only takes, you know, the, the RNC sending, you know, maybe just one guy to see what's going on and then like two more guys to run a background check and find something or some reason, some stupid Facebook post you made and then say, all right, you are, you know, you can, you know, they just hand you a revolver and close the door and say, do you want to kill yourself or do you want to like, what, what's, what's it going to be? 
Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, I disagree. I guess we're, we're kind of filling the margins and no matter what we do, in my opinion, to some extent. So, I mean, this is partially why I'm kind of like, you're better off just kind of, I mean, maybe you can mess around with political things and make some difference here and there, maybe more so locally, but then day you got to be somewhat realistic and realize you're fiddling the margins if you're going to play the political game, especially yeah. as, as a huge philosophical minority. I guess a good example I would use is like to kind of get at what I was getting at is um, a lot of people know, follow my channel. I, I got out of the active duty military like uh, less than a year ago and I did 11 years and I was an anarchist for a good period of the time. And it was just like, I, I fucking hated it. Cause, but it was like, you know, bills gotta get paid type deal. Um, but like at the same time though, I did notice I like, I, I never like, I wouldn't actively go out and look for people to debate or argue, but there'd be people who knew my thoughts and they'd talk to me and I would, I'd push them this way or the other. Like I had a buddy who was like a really, you know, Southern fella and was always about the fucking, you know, civil war and this and that. And I, I would make the easy libertarian arguments be like, yeah, they should have been able to secede. Like, why not? You know, like, and, and, and I'd be able to move the needle there. But at the end of the day, like, I know it wasn't like I fucking, I made some huge dent in the military or, or whatever in these people there, but I, I made, I had some sort of, you know, impact to some extent. And I mean, that's all really you can kind of hope for, you know, I mean, I, the idea that we're going to, you know, take over this behemoth is, I mean, really, this is a dying behemoth. I mean, I, maybe you'll disagree. You're trapped in the well, dark, this horrible machine, and the machine yeah, is bleeding so, to death. <laughs> so we're just trying our best to make some sort of difference as it goes. And at the end of the day, I guess I'm far more concerned about me and my family's well-being. But at the end of the day, I, I do want to try to make a difference for other people on the way and, you know, and that's kind of, I guess that's a good example to kind of get at what I was getting at there. And I mean, really even the libertarian party, that's all you can really hope to do. I guess it's just a matter of which is more effective. And I don't know, that's up for debate. I don't, I'm not even really necessarily solid on which I just, I lean more towards the Republican party being a little bit better. Um, but yeah. Um, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that. Um, but I think I've covered most of it. Uh, but if not, I guess ahead, on that one, I was just say like, yeah. Um, that you can't there is a way to get the Republican party to do what you want and i talked about this with pete before which is just you know on the broad level just withholding your vote and radicalizing its base just to see you know just to see how desperate you can make them right and i've talked about how you know lately we've been seeing republicans entertaining positions just to try to get people back on reservation right entertaining positions that they never would have dreamed of discussing you know 20 years ago right um you know, people like Ron DeSantis. Um, although even then, you know, you kind of see um, Republicans, you know, just trying to make statements. You know, even, I was talking about this even earlier today, right, national divorce, right? Republicans would have never used this phrase 20 years ago. And I have my serious misgivings about the phrase now because even, because there's no follow through, right? Republicans say national divorce. And the fact that, you know, the fact that, you know, you have Republicans talking about secession, right? Mm. But they're doing it in this way that is demonstrably not threatening to anybody. And when they do it, it just causes libertarians and others to be like, wow, base, you know, did you hear that, you know, you know, Ron DeSantis used the phrase national divorce? And it's like, okay, and then are you, you shouldn't support him for doing that. You should just immediately be like, yeah, obviously he should. And you should be like making more demands, right? You know, what liberals don't take yes for an answer, right? As soon as he says national divorce, you should be like jumping down his throat for using such a pussy ass way of saying it, right? You should yeah. be jumping, you should be finding just, you know, sorry, you um you forgot to dot the I on the word national, right? Sorry, you know, say it again, right? And more radically this time. I don't, you gotta be like that. And yeah. people say, well, then you, you know, then he's gonna not like you. Like politicians already don't like you. You know, you're, you should not be thinking in the minds of like, I want politicians to like me, right? Yeah. That, what is Fuck that? Em. 
Uh, you brought up something there that actually uh, bring, brings up another question in mind. Um, I, I think I just talked about it on the Clint show the other day, but um, Clint, ha- uh, Clint from Liberty Lockdown, he had on a show recently, James Lindsay, and I think he had said this before on a tweet, but he said on his show as well. He's talking about that he doesn't necessarily want a secession, but he wants a he would like to see, and I guess we're kind of almost maybe seeing the beginnings of it, of certain states sort of grouping together and not necessarily seceding, but being like, hey, we'll kind of support each other and, you know, be like, when the federal government has this mandate or that, they can be like, fuck you, we're not doing it. And it's like, they're not necessarily formalized, formal, formally leaving or formally seceding or even formally nullifying, they're just not doing it. And I'm kind of curious. I mean, when I first heard that, my first instinct was like, no, that's kind of this, like, that's kind of gay. Like, I mean, just be, just don't be a bitch. Go for secession. But the more I think about it, I'm kind of like, well, if you're in this situation to where you have these group of states who aren't doing what the federal government wants them to do, in what meaningful way is that really any different than secession or nullification if they are, in effect, doing the same thing? And there are definitely, obviously, as we've seen in the Civil War, some downsides to formally being like, fuck you, we're out. Um, and I guess for me as an anarchist, too, part of uh, what I want people to do is dispel the idea of you know state power. And if you have this lower entity within a, you know, a, a hierarchy of a state basically being like, we're not doing that, to some extent that trickles down to where you're like, oh, so we can just say no? Like, and... It, it, but whereas a secession is more like, well, we're making two states now. Like it, it, it's it's a little bit different even in that philosophical sense to whereas like a nullification, a soft nullification or soft secession is in some senses almost kind of better in my head. Like if you can get to the state, if you we could get to a situation where a state or a group of states are just doing what they want, regardless of their federal state, federal government and not necessarily breaking off, like they don't feel the need to be like, make it this formal thing. In some senses, I almost see that as better because I mean it's almost just like no, we're not doing that. Like uh, you know, what I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't know if that what your thoughts on because that was something I, I thought about too, and it's kind of like made me think. I, I still go back and forth. It's it's an interesting question, I think. So I guess my first thought was, so I don't know enough about the specifics of how this has gone down. I mean, there's no way that these states are getting together and like you know in one voice saying no to like signed acts of Congress or Supreme court decisions. You know, I always talk about how there is no Biden vaccine mandate, right? Mm. Biden just said that there's going to be a mandate at some point, you know, you, it, you know, it's, it's bureaucracies making recommendations and then firms acting in advance of it. And so I, I guess I would say, you know, what are these States getting together and standing up to? Because, you know, the main source of the problem is that there are these bureaucracy, like, there are bureaucracies at the federal level, and then also there are ways for the federal government to manipulate procedural outcomes and bureaucratic outcomes at the local level. So for a governor to say, you know, I'm not going to do what the federal government wants me to do. What does that mean the federal government wants you to do, right? You know, are, there's, are you going to, are you refusing federal government money here? Or is that what's happening? You know, what is the rebellion? What, what are you, rebe- what are you doing exactly? And so I, I guess I'll just say there, I don't even know what they're saying they're doing. And I'm not going to say it's bad. I don't think it's anything. Right. Yeah. Uh, if only because, to put it just mildly, because I'm only hearing it for the first time from you. Right. Yes. Like if it was well, something that we're hypothetical, do- it's not something that's actually happening. Yeah, yeah. It's a hypothetical, but yeah. <laughs> like I would have heard I mean, screeching it- about this for weeks ago, right? If it was sort of like yeah. serious. 
Yeah, no, yeah, but uh, I don't know. I guess I'm just kind of curious, like, how that – I mean, I, I get what you're getting at, but but it doesn't even necessarily have to be a group of states, even if it's just one state. Even if even if you know, DeSantis decided – I think the whole idea of what um, James Lindsay was getting at was uh, the whole idea of the group of states was before that reason, that if the federal government decides to withhold money, that now they – let's be real, these are most likely going to be red states, and these are states that are uh, a little bit more fiscally solvent than the other states. So it's – they're in a better position to refuse federal mo- money than other states are. Uh, hmm. To some extent, I, I I mean I don't I'm not you're more economics guy than I, I definitely am. Definitely don't so think that's true. Than, right? Yeah, I, um, I, I don't know. A lot of I mean most red states are like net federal tax recipients. Um, there's only like eight states that um, pay more in federal taxes than they take in, and they're almost all on they're almost all like coastal liberal states. Um, and a lot of them are using federal money to you know close the gaps in their welfare schemes, hmm. right? So, you know, even even red states have urban populations that require either federal or state money just to get fed day to day. And so they need the federal money for that. And without that federal money, they'd be looking at some significant domestic unrest after, you know, nine meals. Right. Mm. So I definitely wouldn't put too much faith in the fiscal solvency of red states. And actually, I mean, now that I think about it, the only example I can think of, of like a multi-state compact that we actually saw was um, Andrew Cuomo during early COVID when they thought that, uh, you know, when, when the meme was that Trump wasn't doing enough to stop COVID, you saw Andrew Cuomo saying, you know, uh, the coronavirus doesn't respect state borders. It'll gladly go up I-95 or go up Amtrak. And so, you know, New York's been part of a regional compact with New Jersey and Pennsylvania uh, Vermont and Massachusetts. And so it was actually a block of blue states then. And I, I, I was making the joke that, you know, um, Andrew Cuomo was the foremost champion of states' rights. And, and, but even then, right, that was states' rights to do more than what the government wanted. And I haven't really seen, you know, certainly in my lifetime, any significant amount of states' rights to do less than the government wants. And if I did, if, if such a thing existed, we know it would be said. And since it hasn't been said, I know it's not significant. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're like completely. Especially James, just all the respect, you know, especially James Lindsay, right? Is, is the one like I'm for it. Like, oh, okay, so this is like worthless. Yeah, no, I just, I guess, in my head, I'm just theorizing which would be preferable of the two. Um, you know, a full break or a, an informal, we're just kind of not doing it. Obviously, I know there is an issue of like federal money. I mean, there's so many factors to this. It's just kind of a. Uh, I guess it's it's an interesting thought of which is preferable because uh, I don't know. Because I do think in a philosophical sense, it's almost preferable to have, you know, things basically be like, no, we're not doing it and not be this formal, but we're going to break up and create a separate a separate fucking, you know, you know, entity, you know, like, I, I don't know. There's something more to that. And it also kind of, in a sense, creates a little bit more of a return to, you know, kind of states rights, uh, you know, possibly. um and if you have a group of states, maybe there could be some sort of legal way they can go about and like preventing, you know, say the federal money thing. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not a legal or a fucking economic expert, so I don't know. I just it was a, a thought that I found to be interesting because when I first heard Lindsay say, I was like, yeah, I was turned off because it just kind of seems like this like kind of bitch move. And then I realized, then I thought about it more. I was like, I don't know. I might have some merits, uh, but I don't know. Just it's kind of an unformed thought that I thought to bring up here. Um, but yeah, I guess with that, we're at a good spot. I don't know if you want to go ahead and drop your plugs and, uh, we'll... Oh, sure. Um, so if you want to hear more of my takes, so you can follow me on Twitter at Anarchy in Black. I also have a Substack, which is, um, first initial last name dot substack.com. That is to say M-G-A-U-T-R-E-A-U dot substack.com. Um, 
that's really the two main places to reach me. Awesome. And I appreciate you coming oh, on. Uh, and of course, I have a podcast. <laughs> I forget about it sometimes. I, 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 I have a podcast that updates, oh, I don't know, at this rate, once every other month uh, called The More Minority. Our episodes tend to be about two and a half hours long. Listen to it during your commute. Um, it's myself and my friend Dan. Yeah. Um, we're on Spotify. Uh, we're on Spreaker. We are on YouTube. I think we're on Apple Music. It shouldn't be too hard to find. There's actually two more minority podcasts on Spotify. Um, ours is the one with the shittier logo. It's like just an I voted pin. Yeah. No, it's funny. I uh, I watched the most recent episode or listened to the most recent episode. And it was like, I felt like I got portaled back like a year. But then it's like, it's only <laughs> been a couple months. It's just that the news cycle is so fucking insane now. They're like, oh, it was just the other month. Like, but it, 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 I don't know. It was funny. It's definitely interesting. Um, I definitely highly suggest anyone to check it out. I, I, I definitely, um, I don't know who was who's your co-host. I'm not sure if I've heard him before. He was he was he was a funny guy. I liked him. Yeah, I don't want to dox him, although I could be denying <laughs> well, exposure. Don't I'll give his say full his... address and details. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> his name is Dan, and he's from Massachusetts. And um, if you want more details on him, you know, I'm sure he gives away piece by piece where he's from on. Uh, uh, on the show proper we actually used to make the joke since you know, sometimes we record episodes and then not um i would take forever to edit them and they wouldn't come out for like a week and a half later and then we would say well it doesn't matter because as a libertarian we kind of just predict the future so the things we talk about you know all of our predictions will just come true so by the time the episode comes out it's just you know it's current events yeah well, i didn't know if the dude was had more of an online presence and i just hadn't heard of him i, I guess not if you know not really <laughs> So if he's that much of a... this from him later, he's going to be chewing me out, you know, right when we're doing show prep. He's going to be like, you know, Marcel, you know, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you plug, you know, my, my stand-up comedy and, you know, the place that I work? <laughs> uh, well, all right. With that, I'm, uh, this is the No Way Jose show. I'm, uh, I'm on the, the No Way Jose YouTube channel, all the major audio podcatchers, Odyssey. My uh, Twitter is at 2020 No Way Jose. If you want to support me, patreon.com, just No Way Jose 2020. Like, share, subscribe, all the good stuff uh appreciate you coming on marcel this was fun happy um, to be on thanks for having me yeah and with that we're out Oop, stick around we can shoot the shit after and everything but oop.